Our theme for the year is Abounding in Hope. And I would invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to Romans 15. Our theme verse is Romans 15, 13. And I'd like us to say it out loud together if we can. Romans 15, 13. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. I hope that this is on your heart through the week. I hope it comes up at times maybe of some personal distress. And I trust that God will continue to minister to you as we think about the matter of hope that does not hang upon our circumstances. It hangs upon the Lord Jesus Christ and His promises. We have asked the question in this series already, what is hope? It is not simply a hope so. Cross your fingers, touch wood, maybe, maybe not. No, Bible hope is, if you know it, say it out loud, joyful, confident expectation. All right, let's say it again. Joyful, confident expectation. And that is because there is anticipation and there is excitement to know that something else is going on that might be unseen, but is still a reality. God is up to something good, always at all times. He is working things together for good to them who love him, to them who are the called according to his purpose. We have looked at the giver of hope, now the God of hope, and then we looked at the gifts of hope last week. He fills us with all joy and peace. Today we'll be looking at the granting of hope as we continue to work our way through this verse. I think we'll probably take a couple of weeks on these two words, in believing. When you look at the verse, Romans 15, 13, it's, it's great to see what God promises he is the God of hope, and He wants to give us hope and peace and joy, and it's abounding. He wants to fill us with it. But there is a personal responsibility, and that is found in those two words, in believing. We do have a part to play. This is not just going to happen. In fact, there are a lot of Christians, though they know Jesus Christ, they do not know His joy and His peace. And yes, even many Christians unfortunately, have lost hope or are losing hope. That's not how it has to be. That's certainly not how it's supposed to be. But there is a personal responsibility. These two words, in believing, put things back our direction. So let's look at thirdly, our, I'm sorry, uh, secondly, we'll just review real quick. The gifts of hope uh, was joy and peace. We saw that last week. Joy is cheerfulness, calm delight. Peace is a state of tranquility, harmony, security, safety, the state of an assured soul. So we went into that a little bit and we talked about the access to joy and peace being the, the fact that we need to accept our circumstances, address our thinking. Our thinking is where we lose this battle. We lose joy. We lose peace. We lose hope right here in our mind. We need to surrender control as opposed to continually fighting for control. And we closed last time with we need to believe God. And that is where we're going to pick it up uh, the matter of believing. We need to believe Him. So number three, the granting of hope is where we'll be today. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So thirdly, the granting of hope. How is hope granted? Well, hope along with its travel companions of joy and peace is granted in believing, which means it is granted by faith. As I've mentioned before, hope is wed to faith. 
and joy and peace are wed to faith. We've defined hope, we've defined joy, we've defined peace, we should define faith. I put several definitions on the the screen. Uh, To think to be true, to be persuaded of, to credit, to place confidence in, to entrust one's self to or to put one's trust in. Uh, Faith is essentially trust. And uh, as we used to say when I was taking the Netcasters evangelistic team around the country, uh, teaching the Netcasters seminar, a seminar that would teach people how to share their faith, we would use this definition, believing means transferring your dependence fully to Jesus. And as I would teach people how to share their faith with others, I would tell them you need to be clear on what faith is because so many people today don't have a biblical understanding of faith. And so I'm going to borrow a couple of illustrations uh, from uh, my Netcasters days. And we had Netcasters seminar here, or at least bits and pieces of it. Uh, pieces of it. I think we did Sunday school uh, once with the Netcasters material. Uh, but one illustration that many of you will be familiar with would be what we call the two chairs illustration. So we'll do this quickly. For many of you, this is a review. For others of you, this is brand spanking new. So we've got this chair representing me and what I do, my works. And there's a lot of people today who are trying to get to heaven by doing good things, praying prayers, going to church, helping people out, but they're depending on their works. And then this chair would represent Jesus Christ and his finished work. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And he said, uh, John 19:30, as he was on that cross, some of his last words were, it is finished. And then he gave up the ghost and he went to be with his father. Of course, he, uh, he came back, uh, resurrected three days later. And that's the, the best news of the whole bit. But the finished work is what Jesus accomplished when he died on the cross for our sins, shedding his blood to satisfy the blood atonement requirements of God to satisfy God because his wrath would have been poured out on us without it. He shed his blood, he died, he was buried, and he rose again. And that is the work that Jesus finished. And if it's finished, there's nothing left for you and I to finish. There is just something to receive or someone to receive. It is Jesus. So this chair represents what I do. This chair represents what Jesus has done. And uh, what I have taught people my whole ministry is this. When you're leading someone to faith in Christ, you have to show them, first of all, that their dependence needs to be transferred from themselves to Jesus. So many times when I'm talking with someone, I'll say, so what are you depending on? What are you depending on for eternal life, for eternity with Jesus Christ? And they'll say, oh, I was, I was confirmed as a kid. I was baptized as a baby. I went to church. I voted, fill in the blank, Uh, Okay, Uh, uh, but uh, they have all kinds of different ideas about what might help them get to heaven. And I would say, okay, so you're depending on what you are doing, your good works. Yeah, yeah, my good works. Okay, we'll come back to that. And when we got through the, the presentation, I would say, so you're sitting in this chair and you need to be in this chair. And faith is transferring your dependence from yourself and what you can do to Jesus and what he has done. Now, a lot of people would say, well... Why not have the best of both worlds? You know, let's just cover our bases here. We'll depend on Jesus, and we'll depend on us, and then in case something, you know, falls through the cracks, we just got things, got things covered. But does this look like faith to you? Does this look like trust to you? No, it's not. And we always would say 
Split trust is mistrust. Split trust is mistrust. If you truly trust this chair, you can rest. You don't need a backup. You don't need to hang on to this chair just in case. No, you're resting in this chair. You look at the definition on the screen above me and you see it's the idea of trust. It's the idea of dependence. It's, it's the, faith is the idea of rest. And we need to transfer our faith in ourself, the wrong object, to our, our faith being in Jesus Christ. Now, why am I talking about this? Well, first of all, if you're here today and you, know, you don't know the Lord as your Savior, that's what you are presented with. Are you trusting yourself, your works, your righteousness? Or are you trusting Jesus and Jesus alone? I talked to a guy once who said, well, I believe that Jesus saves me after everything that I do to save myself. He was right here. He said, I believe Jesus makes up the difference. And I told him, no, sir, Jesus is the difference. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There may be someone here this morning or watching online, and you have no peace and no hope because you're hanging on to this idea that you can save yourself. But folks, you're, you're a sinner like me, and all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. And there's none righteous, no, not one. We are in huge trouble. That's why Jesus came. He did everything that was necessary for a sinner to be saved. He finished the work. And the gift of God's eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, what do you do with the gift? You receive it. You don't earn it. You don't buy it. You don't work for it. You take it by faith. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. See, faith is about dependence, transferring your dependence to Jesus. So, so some here maybe are not saved and need to make this transaction of faith. But others here have been saved. You remember the day very well when you went from here to here. And you can talk about it. You can tell me all about it. And it's great. So why am I bringing this up for you? And that is because we tend to, even as Christians, default back to a self-dependence. More about that in a moment. I, I also like this illustration of uh, the Niagara Falls crossing by Charles Blondine, the tightrope walker. Charles Blondine uh, is a real character. You can look him up. He would stretch a tightrope across Niagara Falls. I don't think you're allowed to do this today. Well, I think there was a guy, Nick Walinda, I think, did it. But he, he probably had all kinds of strings to pull to make that happen. Uh, but this Charles Blondine uh, died of natural causes. As an elderly man, he did not die by falling to his death, okay? He was an expert, and he would walk on these tightropes. He would do all kinds of tricks and antics and so forth. And his, his friend Harry, pictured uh, with the hat on, he, would, he was his business manager, would sell the tickets, and they'd get the crowds, they'd make the money and all of that. Well, you always have to do one better, and so... They, he announced, I, I'm going to take someone across on my back. So people paid to come see this. Well, he didn't have a volunteer. And so he says to the crowd, how many of you believe that I can take someone across on my back? Every hand goes up. Every hand goes up, right? Well, <clears throat> he goes to the guy in the front row. You have your hand up? Hop on my back. Let's go. That hand went down and he disappeared into the crowd. Well, who else had their hand up? All the hands go down. What was this? Well, I've got a slide. If I'm jumping around, I apologize, guys. 
uh, we like to use these triangles to demonstrate faith. So you've got common faith and you've got Bible faith or saving faith. They look pretty much the same. You've got understanding, you've got agreeing, but then you've got dependence on one side, not the other. Common faith would say, I have lots of facts. I know about Jesus. I know Bible verses. I know about church. I know about a lot. And even there's some mental assent to some agreement. I agree with these things and so forth. That's just common faith. It's like you and I saying, I believe it's going to snow on Wednesday. I mean, you've got certain facts you understand and certain facts you agree with, but you don't know for sure. There's no, you're not staking your life on that, I hope. <laughs> Bible faith is you're depending everything on that. So going back to the Charles Blondin illustration, you've got Charles Blondin and he says, I need someone to go on my back. Well, all these people had their hands up saying, we understand and we agree, but there was no dependence. So when he asked for a volunteer, the hands go down. And that's where he turns to his buddy, Harry. Harry, you sold the tickets. You're in this with me. We have to deliver. These people paid, and we have nobody. You've seen me do this a hundred times. Come on, Harry, let's go. Harry was scared to death. He gets on. They go out, and the, the ground is breaking away, but they're not over the chasm yet. And he is going along. And Harry is losing his mind. He's scared and he's wiggling around trying to balance. And so Charles stops. They're still in relative safety. And he says, you are no longer Harry. You are Charles Blondin. Commit yourself to me. Close your eyes. Rest. Whatever. Depend. And we'll get across. If you, if you try to do this or help me out, we're going to both die. So Harry had a decision to make. Do I try to help the guy out or do I just commit myself to the expert knowing that he can do what I've seen him do so many times? Harry made the right decision. He took a big breath. He let it out. He closed his eyes. He rested. And when Charles could sense the commitment, the transfer of his dependence, they went across and he made it to the other side and they both lived to ripe old ages, as I understand and uh, it's a, it is an illustration of the difference of those two triangles. Everybody raise their hand, understanding and agreeing, but only one depended, transferred his dependence and committed himself to. Faith is made up of all three angles, not just understanding and agreement. You know, us today, uh, many of us have been in church our whole lives, We've got so much understanding, it's almost pitiful compared to what a lot of people don't have. And we have <clears throat> great mental assent and agreement. We could talk theology all day long, some of us, about what we believe about God and what is true and what is not true. We could parse it and dissect it and everything else. But when it comes to the trial of your faith, that is where you'll know do you really have faith in God or do you just have a common faith? Have you just simply reverted back to where you were before you were saved? Understand, agree, but I don't depend. Uh, biblically speaking, let's go to Hebrews 11.1. 1. It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's a powerful verse. That's a great verse. And, and it helps us understand some things, that faith gives substance to things yet future. 
Faith is the evidence of unseen realities. How can this be? Uh, one commentator said it this way, that uh, faith is, is the substance, or literally the guarantee, of things hoped for. It's the evidence, or the idea of the convincing proof of things not seen. Wow. And the author goes on to point out that some people think that faith must be this mysterious portal that God gives certain individuals to see into the unknown. I'm sorry, folks, there's no mysterious portal. If God gives you the gift of faith, you know, or it's not some portal to see things that nobody else sees, the, the rest of Hebrews 11 goes on to talk about all these heroes of the faith. None of them had a portal. None of them saw some mysterious thing. They were people who actually didn't see anything but the face of God and the hand of God and the next step they were supposed to take. And they took it. Why? Not because they could see something with their eyes. It was because they were convinced of something in their heart that they were willing to depend upon. It is dependence. As I mentioned before, when we talk about faith, we want to talk about it uh, in regards to two things, for salvation and for everyday living. In salvation, you got the verse, Romans 4, 5, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. What a powerful verse. Someone says, I'm going to get to heaven by trying real hard and by doing real good, and hopefully it works out for me. Well, you, sir or ma'am, are sitting here, depending on yourself and your works. But the Bible says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saves us. The Bible says, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. And so if you find yourself here, you're not saved. And you need to transfer your dependence to Jesus Christ and him alone, not hanging on here, just totally resting here, saying, Jesus, I know that you died for me. You rose again. You ascended and you are offering me the gift of eternal life. And I know it's only you. You are the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by you. I'm placing my, my, my hope, my eternity, my everything on you. That is saving faith. Well, what about for everyday living? Colossians 2.6 As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. You know, God would not have had to remind us of that if we didn't need reminding. So how did I get saved? I realized I was a sinner. I realized that faith in myself is futility. And I realized that Jesus was the answer, was and is the answer, and I had to depend on him. I transferred my dependence from me to him. So how am I supposed to live with the same kind of faith? As ye have therefore received him, so walk in him. Did I receive him through head knowledge and mental assent alone? No. I received him with the head knowledge and the mental assent and dependence. And folks, as Christians, we can revert back to the old way of believing so quickly. Go back to, we'll put the triangles back up there. Christians oftentimes revert back to a common faith paradigm. We have all the understanding, all the agreement and mental assent, but without the dependence. So a trial comes, and there's no peace, and there's no joy, and we lose hope, and we're absolutely a mess. 
What does this mean? Does it mean that God has forsaken us? Does it mean that it was all a farce? We were sold a bill of goods? No, not at all. It means that somewhere along the line, our dependence shifted back to self or other things. And so now in the crisis, it's exposed. And for many of us, it is very, very troubling. You say, boy, I, I, am, in, I am absolutely in torment and mental anguish through this trial, and I can't get peace to save my life. But I'm a Christian, and I'm supposed to be peaceful. This is, what, what, I understand this verse and this verse and this verse, and I understand all the verses, and I agree with them. Why aren't they working? Why aren't you resting? I know this one inside and out. It's just human nature to say, I've got to fix this. I've got to own this. I've got to find a solution. I've got to work this out. There's something here that I have to do. How many times did I just say I? I know the verses. I know it all. and I agree with it all, but I've got to fix this. We've got to stop this. We've got to do something. And I don't even realize it, but I'm back over here in the way I'm living my Christian life. Colossians told us, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. He wants us to walk in full, heartfelt dependence upon him. When a Christian reverts back to unbelief, because, by the way, that's what common faith is. Common faith, the two angles without the third angle of dependence, common faith is just what we would call unbelief. Anything short of dependence is unbelief. When a Christian reverts back to unbelief, that Christian loses their joy, their peace, and their hope. But, good news, Christians who persist in their faith have unspeakable, unshakable hope, faith, peace, joy. This right here, this reverting back is human nature. And it's, it's interesting, whenever I talk to someone about getting saved, the most time is spent trying to help them see this matter of saving faith. We are so self-dependent by nature. We have fight and flight mechanisms built into us. We have self-saving mechanisms as part of who we are. You know, if someone ran in the building and said, it's fire the building's on fire your body would take over you'd be doing things that you weren't even thinking about trying to save yourself saving ourselves is what we do it's human nature depending on jesus depending on someone else is not human nature this is why we get stuck and this is why oftentimes when i'm witnessing to someone who's 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 needing to be saved this is oftentimes where it ends because they just can't get this so is it no wonder that if that was such a big deal for us back when our whole journey of faith started, is it any wonder that we revert back to that? We have got to be vigilant in the matter of asking ourselves, what am I depending on? Who am I resting in? Where is my trust? Not what do I know. That's good. You need to know, you need to know stuff. Uh, what do I agree with? That's good too. But where am I putting my trust? 
I've said before, and I'll say it again, life can beat the faith out of you if you're not careful. It can just absolutely beat you up. I talked about that little boy and his grandfather who are looking at the, uh, the burned-out log cabin. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Little boy is crying because their log cabin just burned up. Grandpa says, hush, child, God ain't dead. What is that telling me? That's telling me that all of the trials and all of the difficulties and all of the heartaches and everything that Grandpa has no doubt been through, he had victories all along the way. And he saw God win and God win and God win and God win and God win. And so now here he is at the end and he looks at his son and his grandson and he says, no, 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 I've seen too much. My faith has been strengthened and I know something you don't know. God's not dead. You can trust him. But how many stories could be told the opposite way where grandpa didn't get wins all along the way. He got bitter all along the way and angry all along the way. God's always after me, and God's always taking things from me, and God's always messing up my life, and now he burns on my log cabin, and here's my, my grandkid, and you know, it could have totally gone the opposite direction. Your life is either building your faith. Every experience, every sorrow, every trial is either building your faith and making you into a, a Christian who can be, by God's grace, able to face anything, or your life and life experiences are breaking it all apart. And your faith is, is lying in a heap of rubble. I want us to consider a couple of things before we quit. Number one is this. Faith must be fed. Faith must be fed. I like to eat. I like good food. I'm sure you do as well. You eat the right food, you get strong, you get healthy, hopefully, and you're nourished to face life. Your faith also needs to be fed. And we see it right in Romans 15. Our text, just a few verses earlier in verse 4, says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. The Scriptures are to feed our faith. We were meant to learn, it says, from what's written in the Scriptures about the, the Israelites and about the prophets and, and the prophets preached and the Israelites said, no, we don't want it and we're supposed to learn a lesson from this. There's so much to learn from the Scriptures and there's so much comfort in the Scriptures and if we'll read it patiently, we can have hope. You have to feed your faith, folks. Life goes on and if you're not being proactive, life will suck the faith out of you. When I started in Bible college, Boy, I tell you what, there was so much good preaching. There was so many good classes. There was just so much to feed the faith. And I was young and I hadn't been that beat up by life yet, okay? I remember going to Dr. Rick Flanders' class, History of Revival. If you ever get a chance to hear those lectures, if they're ever online or anything, those are amazing class. And, and I, I just remember my faith being filled. And we almost walked out of there. I mean, I'm sorry, floated out of there instead of walked out of there. We're like walking on air. And we had to go out and tell somebody. So I remember me and a few other guys went out with some gospel tracks. We ended up downtown passing out tracks just because we're like, this is, God, God's, God's going to revive us. He's reviving us right now like he's done before. And boy, we had great visions of what God might do. And one of the guys went into a YMCA and preached to like the whole group. 
He just comes in and says, guys, I got something to share with you. You got to stop playing. Come listen. They're all, okay. So they come over and he preaches like a 25-minute message and like 10 kids got saved. I, I'm not saying you should necessarily do that unless God leads you to do it, but that's where we were at. We were so filled. You know, then life goes along and you're not in chapel every day. You're not in classes for hours and hours a day listening at, at the feet of these men who've seen so much. And if you're not careful, you don't even realize where you got off. Subtly, you start emphasizing this more than this. Subtly, you're, not, you're just not putting as much time into feeding your faith. You know, when I came here to Ann Arbor Baptist Church, I came in a, in a very physically weak condition, and I didn't like the weak condition, and so I determined to fix that and to, to uh, gain some weight and to get healthier. I think I was 185 pounds when I came here. I didn't like that at all. I didn't like how I felt. So I made some adjustments and I, my, I have a home gym and I put everything into that. I'm not saying that that was wrong, but I, I, I can see now looking back that about 2020, 2021, somewhere in there, it began to get a bigger unbalanced priority in my life. I want to be physically fit so I don't face this again. That was the idea. You know what, though? There was so much more I didn't realize at that time. You know, you can have the greatest fitness. But what needs to be worked out more than anything is internal. I don't care how big your biceps are, what you can bench press or deadlift. When trials come, there's no amount of lifting that can lift a trial. Like Jesus, God's grace, internal realities. There is an internal strength and there's an external strength. And I began to get subtly shifted toward uh, an imbalance on the physical strength. The Lord had to shake me up. And this year, uh, you, you know, he, he has definitely gotten my attention. It wasn't in this service. It was in the first service. Uh, in August, I had to call for a chair. And I finished sitting down. Couldn't finish standing up. Uh, it's like the Lord just said, you think you're strong? Well, let me just slow you down for a minute. And I barely finished that message. And that really began to uh, get my attention. And as I looked at that and have continued to look at that and what's transpired since that time, I've recognized there's a lot of things in life that need feeding. Fitness, hey, Paul said bodily exercise profiteth little. It's a, it's a little part of this whole thing. But godliness. Now there, now we're talking our, 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 our internal strength our faith needs to be fed more than anything else. We're meant to get in the Word of God and feed our faith. You know, this morning I, I was doing my devotions and the Lord gave me this, this right out of the text. You know, God has just gems in everything. This is Numbers. A lot of Numbers can bog you down, but this is Numbers chapter 6, verse 24. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Oh, I tell you, just preparing to preach this morning, getting that for my devotions, taking time with the Lord to meditate on that and to pray about that and to think that God wants to shine his face on me. God wants to give me peace and give us peace. And boy, God really ministered to me. But that's the kind of ministry you miss when you do not take time to feed your faith with the word. There's all kinds of things we're feeding 
There's all sorts of things. There's financial things. There's job things. There's, of course, health and fitness. There's family. There's all sorts of things that require time and energy. But you've got to feed your faith. And you're going to do that first and foremost with time spent in the Word and in prayer. Meeting with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And it's got to be real. Faith must be fed. What is your faith in? It needs to be in the Word. Secondly, faith must be focused. Faith must be focused on the right object. When we speak of faith, we assume many times that they're putting their faith in the right thing. It's an assumption we shouldn't make. Faith doesn't save. Faith in Jesus saves. Faith doesn't deliver. Faith in the deliverer saves. Okay, so over here you've got someone whose object was themselves. They need the object to be Jesus. That's what we're talking about. Faith needs to be focused on the right object. This is the key to faith. That's why Hebrews 12.2 says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the author of it. He is the sustainer of it. He is the finisher of it. It's all about Jesus. We tend to get so out of balance so quickly. I still work out. My wife and I both work out every day. I'm just making very, very sure my time in the Word and in prayer is longer than my time working out. I want to make sure that I'm putting the priority upon focusing on the right object. There's nothing about me that's going to carry me through. There's everything about Him that's going to carry me through. You've heard this, I'm sure, but there's a plane that was going down with a politician and a little Boy Scout and uh, the pilot. The pilot was an elderly man. <clears throat> They only had two parachutes, three people. Politician, politician says, I'm, I'm very important. I'm going to save the world. So he just grabbed a parachute and jumped out, leaving the little boy scout and the elderly pilot to figure out a very difficult decision. Who gets the last parachute? The elderly pilot said, look, I've lived a good life. Young man, you're a boy scout. You take this last parachute and you, you save the world. And the little boy scout said, no, we're both fine. That politician jumped out with my backpack. We're going to be okay. Okay. You put your faith in the wrong thing, you'll be severely disappointed. Uh, there is faith in Jesus, and then there are things that seem to be just like Jesus, or maybe better than Jesus, or this will work. No, it is faith in Jesus, the right object. Know him and know his word. And thirdly and finally, and again, we'll talk about faith again next week. Faith must be fed, must be focused, and must be fixed. Fixed. Uh, what do we mean by fixed? Steadfast, firm, settled, set up, stable, established. And I, I want us to think of this in the context of Psalm 57. Psalm 57.7 says, My heart is fixed, O God, my heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. Now that might sound like a great verse to you, but that verse is even greater if you read the whole thing, which we don't have time for, but you can do it later, maybe this afternoon. In Psalm 57, David is struggling. It's obvious. He's up and he's down. And then he's up again. And then, oh, he's down. And God's got the victory. Oh, but my enemies are coming for me. Have you ever been like that? Have you ever been like that? I know that God is, is going to win, but ah... Uh, there's the, the head knowledge and there's the agreement. And in that passage, you can see him working through 
what, I, what do I understand, what do I agree with, and what am I depending on? And he gets to verse 7, he says, my heart is fixed, steadfast, established. I am putting it all on you, Lord. And what does he do after that decision? I will sing and give praise. And that is uh, what comes out of faith. People who have put everything on Jesus are free to sing and praise Him even though He hasn't done anything yet that we can see, but it's as good as done because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not, not seen. I want us to talk about three kinds of faith as we wind this down very quickly. There's trembling faith, there's clinging faith, and there's resting faith. And good news is they're all faith and God will meet you no matter which one of these you're in. Obviously, resting faith is the way to go. But if you have trembling faith or clinging faith, God will still meet with you. Let me give a couple examples of trembling faith. First of all, in Mark 9, 24, and straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. He was trembling. I believe, but I am struggling with unbelief. You ever been there? Did God meet his need? Yes, he did. Trembling faith, God still will embrace. Matthew 14, 29, when Peter was come down to the ship, he walked in the water to go to Jesus, but when he saw the wind boisterous he was afraid and beginning to sink he cried saying lord save me and immediately jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him O thou of little faith wherefore didst thou doubt you have two things there you have a rescue and you have some reproof well a couple things i learned from that one praise the lord he still got rescued <laughs> okay let's just call it right there at least he still got rescued but there was a reproof. I was right here. Why didn't you, why didn't you trust me? Why, why did you doubt? Praise the Lord that trembling faith is still honored. But as we mature in the Lord, I want, and I want you to have, a faith that learns to rest even when you want to tremble. Let's look at clinging faith for a minute. Clinging faith. Jacob, in Genesis 32, 24, Jacob was left alone and they wrestled with him a man, uh, a man with him till the breaking of day. This was an angel that wrestled with him. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh. In other words, Jacob was prevailing against this angel. Think about that one. That's some wrestling moves, right, Brandon? He had something down. When he saw he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint. So he had to like, he cheated. I don't think you're allowed to do this. Uh, dislocate someone's hollow of his thigh, but okay. Uh, and he said, let me go for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. He is hanging on. You're going to bless me. And he said unto him, what's your name? Jacob. Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince thou hast power with God and men and hast prevailed. Hey, clinging faith, that works too but you don't get as much sleep. He wrestled all night long. Clinging, praise God that God works even with clinging faith because that's where many of us are. If we're not trembling, we're clinging. But again, I want to get to resting because frankly, clinging can flat out wear you out. A funny video went around. You probably all saw this video. It went everywhere, but I just have some still frames from it. Little kid clinging to a rope for dear life. Anybody seen this video? It was a viral video. I'm the only one on social media. Okay. All right. Ah. This kid is clinging to this thing. His feet are out in front of him. He's, he's going to die. Now he is depending on the rope, right? Is he liking it? No. 
He is not liking it at all. Look at his face. That's just sad. That poor little kid, he thinks he's going to die. Well, next frame, mom comes. Mom's the rescuer. She's smiling. Why are you smiling? That's because she knows he's not in any danger. It's all good. But she's rescuing him. Interestingly to me, she's smiling. He is still freaking out the entire time. He is still screaming. He still thinks he's going to die. Next frame. Well, he was only in knee-deep water. The whole time. I love his face. He's just kind of like, okay. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I hope no girl saw that. Oh, you know, oh man, I, I tell you, I, I see this kid and it just, it, 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 it's you and me. We're depending on the rope. We're hanging on for dear life. We're clinging, we're kicking and screaming. Ah! God comes to help us. We're still screaming. And, oh, oops, we're in knee-deep water the whole time. There was never any danger. God was always there. Now, this worked. This does work. Clinging faith does work. But, boy, it's hard on you. It's probably not the best way to live. But what's the alternative? Resting faith. And we're going to close this down. Elisha, in 2 Kings 6, 14, you know this passage. The king of Syria sends his troops to kill Elisha. Elisha knows they're coming and he goes to bed and has a good night's sleep. But his, his, his servant sees them out there on the mountainside and he is just beside himself. And Elisha prayed, or he says, fear not for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and the chariots of fire round about Elisha. Wow. And Elisha had a great night. He slept like a baby because he knew God's army is more with us. There's more with us than there are with them and it's going to be okay and there's resting faith. Folks, I'm glad, I'm glad that faith works and God honors faith however he finds it mustard seed faith trembling faith weak faith but I want to challenge you as God has challenged me can God bring us to resting faith why do we have to be so troubled and so torn up where has our sweet rest gone next week we'll get into some of these answers I hope but we can be at rest. Jesus, in the middle of the storm, was in the boat asleep. And any one of those disciples could have said, I'm, I'm going to take a rest with Jesus. They could have, but they didn't. You and I can come to peace in the storm. And again, if you are not able to find peace in your storm, at least come to this. While you're freaking out, while you're panicking, while you're losing sleep and everything else, and I have, I've been right with you, I remind myself of this. God's not panicked. God's not troubled. God's not surprised. God's not having a hard night. God is doing just fine. I still may not change how I feel, but it just helps to know that he is doing just fine. In believing means this. It means learning to rest in the arms of the one who is in control. Depending on his word is true and embracing the unseen as reality. May God help us to learn to rest 
in him. And along with that rest comes joy and peace and hope in believing. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the hope that you give. Thank you for the peace that can pass all understanding. Help us, Lord. Help us in this matter of faith. And Lord, for many of us, maybe we are not walking by faith today as we once did. I pray that you would show us where we got off, what happened, and to get our eyes back upon you. Lord, bring us to this place of resting faith in our Lord. Heads about and eyes are closed. Would you stand to your feet as the piano plays? I would encourage you to do business with God about this matter of faith. And if you're not sure you're saved, if you're not sure you've ever transferred your dependence to Jesus Christ, would you take a moment? And maybe you can slip out to the back, get ahead of the crowd, and I'll be back there before the crowd as well. And we can talk. We can go off and, and find some, some, somewhere to talk, and I can show you how you can know for sure you're saved how you can put your faith in Jesus. Christian, will you also not just hang on to the understanding and the agreeing, but come to that place of depending? Resting. Sing the chorus if you know it. Jesus, I am resting, resting, in the joy of what thou art, I am finding out the greatness of thy loving heart. Amen. We'll, we'll close with a word of prayer. Tonight is our, our uh, fellowship and our life groups. I hope you can be back for that. I'll ask Brother Larry Thompson if you dismiss us in a word of prayer, please.